0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 202, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. This week, a Virginia school superintendent makes a bold mood with vaccination requirements for athletes and... We have quick tips for rookie teachers. Stay with us. Last Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, how and why a teacher in a small Mississippi town is determined to work diving, scuba diving into her curriculum. Hello everybody, Nicortigo here and I'm joined by friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm safe. <laughs> I know,
0: we're safe. I, I think it's fair to let everybody know that we just um, made it through, uh, I guess for us, our sake, it was probably more like tropical storm winds from Hurricane Ida. Um, yeah. Of course, Ida uh, moved through last night uh, over around um, New Orleans and Homa and Grand Isle, Louisiana, um, and causing uh, massive devastation that's even really unknown at this point as we're recording. And I'm sure a lot of that will re- be revealed in the coming days. But um we're glad to be safe here. We were kind of hunkered down and prepared, but um, I think we mostly just dealt with some power outages and, and some heavy rain here. How are you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just grateful. We, we still have power. Um, we've checked outside around our property and it's, it's been pretty quiet, but we can't say the same for some of our neighbors um, to the north and to the west of us.
0: Right. And I mean, I was reading on Twitter last night, and I've been off of Twitter a lot more than I typically do, but but it really is the best way to get information in real time. And so as we were watching the hurricane come inland over Louisiana... I hopped on there and I just got pulled into the vacuum and, and the stories, the the cries for help yeah. from people in like Laplace saying, you know, so so many people in a home we're in our attic, water's mm-hmm. rising, come help us. Like that it was really rough to read through that. Scary. And, and it was mm-hmm. dark at the time. So we really don't know what we're dealing with there. So hopefully everyone's okay um, in that part of the country and uh, things will work out. But I think without a doubt, you're talking about power outages in the New Orleans area and great greater or New Orleans area, it looks like, for weeks.
1: Yeah, we've well, come a long way with uh, rescue and recovery. I know that we have um, trails of power trucks coming from different directions headed to Louisiana. Um, FEMA and other organizations were, you know, poised and ready um, to recover. So I'm just looking for some of the positive stories to come out this evening on people who were rescued. We've had one fatality reported so far and just, you know, hopeful that there won't be more.
0: No doubt. So we'll keep them in our thoughts and our prayers. And uh, of course, uh, we're going to shift to uh, other news going on around the country uh, regarding education. And uh, the one story that kind of caught me um, off guard this morning was one I just read from my old school district, where I uh, grew up, up in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County Public Schools, which is a large school district. Um, They are now going to require, straight from the superintendent, uh, require that all students participating in athletics, be vaccinated. So while they aren't necessarily saying all students need to be vaccinated to come to the school, if you want to play in our athletic programs, you need to be vaccinated. Do you think we'll see this happen elsewhere around the country?
1: I don't know. That's tough to say. I'm not I'm not real sure of the legality of that, because um, you're going against people's rights. And clearly there are a ton out there who you know don't want to be vaccinated and don't want to wear a mask. But I think that it's a great safety net um, to ensure kids can play ball safely. Is,
0: is this any different from requiring students to take a drug test while they're an
1: athlete? Um, I would say yes, um, be- just because of all the things that are in place um, regarding, you know, the use of drugs on school campuses and not being allowed to play sports because of drugs. I think that we're in such early stages dealing with um, COVID and this vaccination that I don't know um, if a lot of school districts will jump on board with it. I would say, you know, my son is certainly vaccinated and recently, you know, his high school had to shut down and go virtual because of the number of students um, and staff being quarantined and it impacts their season. Um, Some of the rules coming down is, you know, if your school goes virtual, you have to forfeit a game. So what Fairfax is doing is trying to eliminate um, that punishment. But at the same time, you always have to think about both sides of the coin in that area where they're living, I'd be, I'd like to know, you know, how many people are against mass mandates, how many are against vaccinations, they may have a huge support um, and following behind that. So I think that they would erupt here in the South. If that happened,
0: I I think you're right. Um, I think, uh, well, I know that Fairfax County does require masks when indoors and on buses um, over okay. in that county, um, it says, according to the superintendent's release, it says a total of 75.4% of all Fairfax County 16 to 18 year olds are currently fully vaccinated and 85.7 have had one dose. Um, So it says says this time. Yeah, right. So that's on the higher end and says this timeline allows unvaccinated students ample time to fulfill the participation requirement before winter sports season begins, because it looks like they're going to the requirement kicks in on November eighth, So it's not immediate. They do start school later there. I think this is like it, it could we could see a legal challenge here. But it's also a superintendent exercising a different maybe policy mechanism where a school board or a state isn't willing to say students have to be or maybe not allowed to say students have to be vaccinated. He's saying, well, I do control athletics and I am going to require it in that arena. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this one
1: plays out for sure. But listen, with that large percentage um, of vaccinated students, I mean, I commend them for that. When I think about our state, what are we sitting on, like 23 percent?
0: Um, Let me uh, give you one second. I'll pull that up on the New York Times site because I was looking at that the other night and um, I want to make sure we get that right. So give me a split
1: second. Well, I know we're one of the states with the lowest number uh, of vaccinations. And so um, just listening to that, to you say that percentage, I'm just so impressed. And it may not be any type of challenge. I mean, if there's a family that's going to challenge that, they will be far and few.
0: All right. So in Mississippi, I'm going to talk, talk specific to like a county, right? Like, so the county that our kids go to school in, which is one of the more vaccinated counties in the state. Um, Surprisingly. Right. And so um, age 65 plus, 93% are vaccinated. Age 18 plus, fix, 56% are vaccinated. Age 12 plus, 52%. Um, wow. So, I'm blown yeah. away. And overall, it's 44%. Now you go to the county um, where you uh, teach in, you've got Age 12-plus is 37%. Age 18-plus is 40%. And age 65-plus is 69%. So lower numbers over there. Lower,
1: but higher than I expected.
0: Right. So, um, so anyhow, yeah, that one that one's going to be one to watch. Um, another story, and I'm going to call this the, the ridiculous story of the day, of the episode. Um, <laughs> and that one ties to the story. It was in the Washington Post. And you probably saw this. It was a school district out of um, Minnesota that actually it was a suburb of Milwaukee. They decided to turn down the funds for the free meals program. And some of the comments from the board were just ridiculous. I don't even know how else to say it. Like they said, they people might become spoiled if they continue the free meals program. What are your thoughts?
1: One sentence for them out of touch, no type of connection or understanding of who they're serving. At all. And and, you have people who have lost their jobs, people who have lost their lives because of what's going on in this pandemic. And it's just an opportunity to make sure that every child coming in that building has their basic need met, which is their nutrition. And you deny them that I am appalled. According to the story,
0: thirty six percent of that school district already needed the free lunch. So it wasn't a huge number, but it's still a lot of kids. Um, it, but as we've always talked about on this show, for me, the reason why it's so great is because there's kids that they don't want to have that stigma of getting the free lunch, and and mm-hmm. often like a parent may have to apply for it, or and maybe mm-hmm. they don't take the time, and it's just if everyone gets it, there's no you don't know who needs the free lunch and who doesn't, and and that's what I like about it.
1: I think my thing is, it's an opportunity to ensure no matter what, every child gets a breakfast and every child gets a lunch. And to deny that is just really baffling. Um, I mean, you have to think about the county where our children go to school now. Um, They're not severely high in poverty, yet they accepted um, that support. And I'm pretty proud to say that they are feeding every child breakfast and lunch um, that wants it.
0: I want to say when our district posted on their facebook page that they were doing that you know they did it a couple times as the funding Mm -hmm. was renewed it was like one of the most liked facebook posts that they probably have ever put on their site so it just seems like you know people were grateful right no doubt. Let's go ahead. I want to wrap up uh, this part of the episode with some positive stuff. And I feel like I've got you, who is the, one of the perfect people to ask um, and kind of piggyback off of the story I found, which was the best advice for new teachers in five words or less. And um, so this reporter basically reached out online on Twitter and just kind of did a call out to experienced educators to share their best tips for new teachers in five words or less. And they got a bunch of really great responses back. Um, I'm going to throw a couple out there. I want to get your input as well. And and feel free to input as I kind of go through any of these.
1: Um, I've got two right off the bat.
0: You want to go first? (laughs) Go ahead.
1: All right. One of my favorite quotes is Maslow before Blooms address the needs of a child before you work on, you know, mm. I- instructional um, strategies and skills and questioning and worrying about, you know, their mastery of a skill. Meet their basic needs first, and then another one that just, you know, pretty much sums it up without using educational terms. Relationships over rigor. No one's gonna listen to you or jump through those hoops or want to soar in your classroom if they can't feel a connection with you. They just—they're just not. And that just takes me back to the last story that we were just covering. I have to backtrack and wonder what type of relationships that school board has truly with the children and the community members to to just say they don't need it. It'll make them feel spoiled. I, I'm just—I'm right. still baffled over that.
0: Right? I <laughs> know it's frustrating. The the Maslow's over bloom. I just, I love that. I mean, cause I know this, this seems weird, but it's like, I I just feel like as humans, we have to have, you know, full stomachs before we learn. Like, I mean, when, when it comes lunchtime for me and I'm in the middle of a project, if I'm hungry, I can't think. And I can't imagine for a child showing up hungry, um, and, and having to worry about lunch and not having those things fulfilled and then expecting them to learn in class.
1: That's it. That's it. And even on top of that, when you think about the, the meal provided from the cafeteria will be a hot, warm meal, right? And if you're sending your child to school with lunch, it's not necessarily a hot meal. Um, it's a sandwich. It's some, you know, some veggies. It's not that it's not healthy, but to have all the other children sitting around you with, with a hot meal. I mean, that can make your belly rumble a little bit as well. So,
0: right. And that's, and that's Maslow's like bottom of the pyramid, most basic needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you kind of work your way up and you have things like esteem and self actualization. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like esteem, for example. Like, I, th- I think that's such great advice for a new teacher to realize that part of their job is very much to make sure that kids feel good about who they are. Yeah. And so, this, yeah. this is just a really good one.
1: Well, I have to jump out there and say this also is when we talk about meeting the needs of children before you can, you know, get them to connect and want to work hard for you in your classroom, we also have to meet the needs of teachers and remember that you cannot put students first if you're putting teachers last. They're both first.
0: That is a fair point. Um, So other things that came from this story um, was start smiling on day one. Why do you think that's important?
1: Listen, when we when I remember, listen, I've been in this game 23 years and very early on my first year as a teacher, I remember some advice given to me is don't smile until Christmas. You know, you don't you don't let them see the the cool side of you until then. Well, then that creates like, you know, tension in the classroom and those kids just don't like you. And that's the old way of doing things. The right thing to do is to let them see that you are human, to let them see that bright side of you, encouraging them and motivating them and connecting to them. Um, They're just much more inclined to really work hard for you and want to, you know, just meet their goals. And just thinking about that old way of, oh, I remember so-and-so's class. I hated it. You don't want kids to say that about you.
0: That's true. And and there's another one here that um says embrace not knowing everything. I yeah. like this one because I feel like it takes a mature person to be able to mm-hmm. to tell their mentor or whoever they're speaking to, like, hey, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not following what you're saying. Can you help yeah. me understand that better?
1: I think the environment has to be um, created in a way where new teachers can feel safe to say so, because let's be realistic. You don't come out of your ed program knowing everything, but then let's also remember that we're supposed to be lifelong learners. So even as veterans, there are things that we don't know, or there are things that we can do better we can always grow and you know modify and adjust instruction to meet the needs of the kids because remember the kids change every year and so if we're not able to adapt and and grow for them then really we're stuck you know, back in the twilight zone. And so if we can create that environment where new teachers and veterans alike can feel safe to say, Hey, you know, how are you teaching that standard? Or what are you doing about a difficult child that's struggling with this? Or, you know, how can you meet the, help me meet the needs of my children? I'm, I'm just not, you know, cracking it right here. That's to me is most important. And if a new teacher does not feel safe enough to say so, I mean, it's a loss for children, not just for that new teacher's development.
0: What do you think of this one? It says, have an identity beyond work. Do you agree with that?
1: I do. And I can say that I am, um, I have been very guilty of immersing myself so much into um, my classroom and into my position that it consumed all of my time. And when I realized that, you know, I was taking from my family, I had to make an adjustment. And when you make that adjustment, it's hard for the people you work with because they're so used to you being a workhorse. And I am just committed to not doing that to myself anymore. It's been going on now. A good. I have to say, a good four years now that I've gotten my act together after being in education so long, because it's just about how passionate you are, how committed you are. But we have to have that fine line and keep them separate for your health and for self-care. So I make it a point at a certain time in the evening, my ringer is off. Um, I try not to contact my team members or send emails. If I'm going to send them, I'll schedule them to go out the next day. We have to practice, you know, what we preach and be an example.
0: Do you have any tips on identifying a mentor as a new teacher? I mean, should the mentor find you or you find them? Like, what should you do there?
1: Well, here, there's two ways to look at that. Um, I myself have had opportunities where I've identified someone who I you know, said, oh, wow, they're really cool. They're really great. They're really smart. Um, They're doing great things. I want them to mentor me. And I make that connection. But as a school administrator, it really is our responsibility to connect new teachers with mentors who they can feel safe with, Mm -hmm. that they can learn from, that will make a great impact on them, that they can go and observe, have those conversations. So I think it's twofold, is make connections, build relationships, that's just, you know, super important um, to network in our profession. But as as an administrator, I do think that that's a serious responsibility of ours is to give new teachers, um, and not just first year teachers, first year to your school district, connect them with someone that will make the transition easier.
0: I'm going to share one more. And um, I'll let you um, kind of answer this one. It's um, never forget why you began. Do you remember why you began?
1: I do, and you know, I have to mention Simon Sinek. He has one of his books is my absolute favorite. Is just you know to know your why, and when you get to a point where you're not loving what you do anymore, specifically talking about teaching, you got to go back and unpeel your why, and your why can change. In the very beginning, when I was you know in my twenties, and I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to change the world. That's that universal statement. I wanted to change the world and make a difference. As time went on, I found even, you know, to me, deeper reasons to be in education when I started getting to know children of poverty, um, children coming from difficult backgrounds. I've worked in all different types of school districts, high poverty, low poverty, high performing, low performing. And I think at the root of it, my why has never changed. Just being a rock solid teacher for a child and being able to envision who they can become in the future and knowing that you've been a part of that and now that I have students who are actually adults married with their own children every time I run mm-hmm. into one of them or every time I you know just communicate with a student from my past it just makes my heart happy that what I'm doing makes a difference when they say to me you know you were the hardest teacher i had but you made the greatest impact on me you know it just reminds me to stay stay at it because some child might make it just because of what I've said or done for them in a classroom. And I actually, as an administrator, feel that same way about teachers. Um, some of the research shows that, you know, after three or five years, we're, we're losing some of our best teachers. Um, just because the position is 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 hard, it's not the same as it used to be, and so my why has shifted. Now I still want to make an impact on children, but where I stand in my career today is I want to be able to grow and develop and support teachers so that they will have longevity in this business.
0: Well, all excellent advice, Christina. I appreciate you sharing your perspective on this. Uh, if anybody wants to see the full list, we'll um, have it posted in our show notes. That's words of wisdom for rookie teachers. Good deal. Uh, Christina, are you ready for today's bright idea? I am. Our guest in today's bright idea segment has an ambitious way to bring science to the next level for her students. Veronica Wiley teaches high school science in the small town of Hazelhurst, Mississippi. And thanks to a recent grant from funds for teachers, she's now in the process of earning a diving certification and plans to use her certification to train her AP environmental science students to conduct her own hands-on research. Uh, working with the youth diving with a purpose in Florida, Veronica. Welcome. The class dismissed.
2: Hello, Nick. How are you? So happy to be here today. Uh, I
0: appreciate you t- your time, and and I opened up by saying uh, that you have this ambitious project, and I think really ambitious might even be an understatement uh, with what we're talking <laughs> about here. I want I want you to. I'm familiar with Hazelhurst, Mississippi. It's not too far from where I live, but I want our listeners who are kind of scattered throughout the country and the world. To understand like the the town that you live in, I mean, help me draw a picture of, of what it's like in Hazelhurst.
2: Hazelhurst is extremely small. We have one elementary school, one middle school, one high school. Um, so when I say small, I, I I literally mean that. Um, it I let's see. We have, you know, one pool, um, no big youth centers or things like that. Very small area, a local Walmart. And the next nearest Walmart is about 15 miles north of us um, or 15 miles south of us. In Brookhaven. So um, it is uh, relatively densely populated, um, but uh, our school is a Title I school. As a matter of fact, our district, excuse me, is a Title I district. So just to kind of get a gist of what some of the dynamics are here, um, most of the people who we have here work out in Jackson or work the other direction in Brookhaven. um, But for the most part, we're a very, I'm not even sure if small is the appropriate word for it, but we're a small community. Um, Some of our students live here in the city. A good number of our students live in what we call the country, but in the rural area. Um, And so they're bused in. And uh, I think our nearest district over is Crystal Springs, which is not too dissimilar, um, where a good number of our students are, you know, rural, but, um, you know, we don't have a lot of pools here. So one of the challenges is teaching the kids to swim, making sure they have access to all the proper materials and things of that nature. So um, I'm not sure if I've adequately described Hazelhurst, but no, I, I love it here. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a nice little town. Yeah,
0: it's um, it's it's small town, Mississippi. It's, uh, I think, a population of like 4000 people. But Mm -hmm. here we are, you've got this idea where you're like, I'm gonna learn how to dive and then I guess teach other students how to dive as well.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And not just teach them how to dive, teach them how to dive uh, with intention so that I guess my my thought process on everything in life is that whatever you do, you should be a intentional about it um, and b it should bring some sort of value to your life and to your community. So my hope is that, you know, with me going to do this, I would be bringing some value back to my community and offering some experiences and opportunities that my students just wouldn't otherwise have.
0: I absolutely love that. So you're in a way you're you're trying to bring um, science uh, to the students rather than just trying to teach it in a class. Is is that absolutely?
2: I'm a big fan of experiential learning, um, and I believe that students learn through experience far better than they learn through lectures. So. One of the things that I do outside of the school, um, I have a small nonprofit called STEM South that I run and we do, you know, robotics and we do tutoring and, um, you know, we do other STEM activities. We put an astro camp over the summer. So there are small things that we're doing that seem big in the grand scheme of things. Um, but just, you know, I, I, I believe that we can experience science in more ways than we could ever imagine. And because I know that, and because as an adult, I've been privy to some of those experiences, I just want to bring those back to this neighborhood.
0: I love your ambition there. And I think that's great. Um, you, you tell me uh, that you're, you're going to be learning how to dive. I guess you're already kind of going through the process. I mean, how hard is that when you're in Hazelhurst, Mississippi? Are you practicing in pools? Or are you going to the Mississippi Gulf Coast or Florida or what?
2: So, my intention was actually to go to Florida to get my open water certification, Um, but I spent some time over my summer and actually completed my certification. So, the process is relatively simple. Um, I reached out to a couple who lives in Atlanta. Um, So, that's how difficult it is, Uh, but I reached out to a couple who lives in Atlanta. They are uh, members of the National Association of Black Scuba Divers, and they, as a couple, train people um, to scuba dive. So, I went to uh, Marietta, Georgia, spent about three days. There did my training in a pool where they taught me how to snorkel um, and how to do certain basic underwater maneuvers. And then um, much of the pool thing has to do with getting comfortable in the water, you know, being able to breathe underwater because you tend to hold your breath, how to control your buoyancy and some of the science behind diving. Once I was at a place where I was a little bit more comfortable, we waited a week or so. And then I went to Pelham, Alabama, um, to a place called Blue Water Park. And it's a basically a, an extremely deep rock query. And I went and did my first uh, six dives there and they took me there and I received my certification. So I did finish one small part um, of, of the, the my, my fellowship project.
0: Congratulations. You're off to a good start. So like what? Where do you see yourself a year from now? I mean, is that to that point? Are you going to be working with students or will that even be sooner?
2: I've reached out to Ken Stewart, who is the director of Youth Diving with a Purpose um, and the actual Diving with a Purpose, the adult component, um, and talked to him about what it would look like branching their organization uh, down to Hazelhurst. So, what he's he's helping me plan and hopefully helping me raise money for um, is setting up a program where I am. bringing in facilitators and teachers who are able to teach the children the proper mechanics, the proper skills, so on and so forth. And then, you know, annually taking them to go get certified so that they can get in their quality dives, they call them, um, and then eventually be able to do that di- to do do diving with a purpose. So it's probably going to be a good six months to a year before we're really able to establish something, um, subsequent or uh, something of, real. Um, Right now we're kind of in the thought process, but I I did reach out to him um, and he gave me some great input about how to get that started, how to get the proper equipment and who I could contact, who might be willing to come and volunteer.
0: Why diving? Why, Why was that the thing for you?
2: well there are a couple reasons um, the first is for me I'm always uh, a fan of the idea of breaking stereotypes and there is that big stereotype that black people don't swim um, and further that black women don't swim and um, I love the water and I feel like the more of us um, and by us I mean people of color I mean people who are, are stereotyped but the, the more of us that go out and try to break these uh, we can kind of change the narrative for the people who come behind us the second reason for me is um, a, a Largely a a fear thing. It is a Veronica, if this terrifies you, it may be something that you should go and try. Um, And finally, I found out about youth diving with a purpose after finding out about diving with a purpose. So there was um, a person who I used to follow, like on Twitter, I believe. He wrote a book, um, and to make a very long story short, He was a part of an organization that went out and they were doing slave ship dives um, and documenting them and, you know, making measurements and applying all the scientific archaeological stuff that I know to slave ships. And I thought, wow, that's something that I want to do. So I had kind of been toying with the idea of doing these slave ship dives for quite some time, but couldn't figure out how. So I eventually found out that it was the organization Diving with a Purpose, got online, found out what I needed to do and realized that it took me getting my diving certification and then I had to log a certain number of dives before I could go out and you know join the the group. So that was sort of the the precipitant um, and after I got that idea and realized this was something that was actually possible, I found out about youth diving with purpose and realized, well, if this gets me so excited, certainly my students can be equally as excited um, and they can see some of the things that I also will be seeing for the first time.
0: That's really cool. So, I mean, you you envision at least you going out there, filming it, bringing it back to the classroom, and maybe even bringing a few students along?
2: Absolutely. And my hope is that each time that I go, um, I'll be able to take more students along and that... um, eventually it will catch enough wind and enough interest that uh, students from the community in general, whether they're white, black, or other, will want to go out and do that. Because again, because we're a small community, we kind of share in the opportunities that we don't have. So I'm hoping that, you know, the first time out, I may only have one or two students. The second and third time out, I'm hoping to have one or two new students. So each time I want the organization to be be growing and for more students to at least come out and experience it once or twice.
0: As you said, there's this stereotype that people of color that that they don't swim. I mean, how is it being received by those in your classroom and in your community?
2: Um, I am I am the the nerd lady in the building, and I own that, um, and I, I I carry that because it, it for me it's a point of pride. So at this point, my students and the other teachers don't think um, anything of it. There's sort of like. That's that doggone Miss Wiley. That's that, that's kind of thought process at this point. Uh, so when everyone found out that that was my plan, most people, knowing me and knowing you know where my head was, thought a. There she goes again. Um, and B, I can't wait to see what the pictures are going to look like. And so uh, when I came back, hey guys, I'm finished. Check out some of my pictures. People were blown away. Some of them still didn't want to dive, uh, but there was less of a nervousness about it. So a lot of people, you know, as they began to ask about my experience, what it was like, um, and really began to realize how large the National Association of Black Scuba Divers was and how many other people of color are out there diving, um, there's been, for me, me a, a large uptick um, in interest with just people asking me either what my experience was or asking me to connect them with folks in you know their various areas who could help them <clears throat> to be able to be scuba certified. So I've had people call me from Texas, people call me from Colorado, um, and other people who've inquired who live here uh, throughout the state of Mississippi and in Hazelhurst. Um, who just kind of thought, I never realized it was possible. So what information can you give me so that I can go do the same thing?
0: I mean, do you have any students that are maybe now willing to step out of their own comfort zone? Maybe even a student who didn't know how to swim. That's like, you know what, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to try to do this with you.
2: I have about five so far. So I mentioned that I run that nonprofit. Um, two of my students had expressed interest in it last year. Uh, we went and took a trip to listen to um, an organization based in Florida um, that does uh, ROV robotics, so they do the, the underwater robotics. And we were talking about doing that. And both of these young ladies, one is, one is Hispanic, one is, is a female, or one is a black female. Um, but they both expressed interest in diving. And we were going to send them to a diving camp. And then COVID happened and kind of shut everything down. And, you know, we just thought nothing else of it. Well, when I, talked to my principal into letting us start this, uh, this AP Environmental Science class. One of the things that I mentioned to him was that I wanted to eventually, you know, have students go dive. And I had about three students from that class expressed interest as well. So right now I have a good solid five students uh, between the grades of 10 and 12 who would like to go out and, and get their certification and at least, you know, do a little dive here and there. So there is some interest there.
0: I heard in an interview... You said it's my hope as a teacher to be what I needed when I was in school. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that?
2: There were so many things and, and i I want to preface this statement by saying I did have some absolutely amazing teachers who were just as concerned with my forming as they were about my informing um but there was a lot support wise that I did not have coming up in school, and that my classmates did not have um some of that was. Enough teachers, and I'm emphasizing the word enough, who saw potential, um, and focused on harnessing that potential rather than critiquing my clothing or my behavior or what they thought was or was not, you know, socially acceptable. Um, some of that was having enough, um, understanding from my teachers as I was navigating emotional issues that I could not, um, I could not really work my way through at such a young age. So there were certain things going on, you know, in my home or near my home. I couldn't really put words to, but there were emotions that came with. I'm not sure if that makes sense. And I had teachers who didn't really uh, take the time to say, are you okay? Here's how we help you deal with this. There was... uh, for me, more of a focused on you know um, this is this is how you're acting out in class, as opposed to here's how we help you deal with what you're dealing with, so that you don't act out in class. So um, for me, after my second year of teaching, um, there was a, a, a pretty large span where I left the classroom, um, and I decided to go to seminary. During that time, I received my Master of Divinity and focused on chaplaincy, and then I eventually went oh, wow. back into the classroom after working as a chaplain for a while well, why was that important? There are so many emotional things that my students deal with that I feel better equipped to handle now. So as an adult, if I wrestle with uh, you know, anger or frustration from whatever's going on in life and it's difficult for me to handle it, imagine what that's like for a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, heck, a 17-year-old who doesn't have the mental capacity to handle it the way that I can. So with me having certain uh, training now about counseling, um, about walking with people through whatever their their struggle is, I'm able to handle my students in a much better way. So they're still giving me their 100%, whatever that looks like, while they're handling, you know, their emotional stuffs as well. And so I needed that. I did not get that. Um, I needed teachers who saw beyond what I look like, um, and who were able to say to me, I realized that this is where you know you're struggling with your confidence. Let me pour into you in that way. And just I felt like not enough of my teachers understood the concept of pouring into their students. They were there to teach me, and that was all they were there for. And at three o'clock, end of story. Um, so okay. there's just for me a way that I approach my students that I never want them to walk away from me or from my class feeling the way that I felt walking away from certain teachers when I was in school.
0: Did you grow up in Mississippi?
2: I did not. I actually grew up in Denver, um, graduated from Denver East High School, and went to Loyola Marymount uh, University in Los Angeles, California, before moving back to Denver.
0: As I said off the top, uh, your funding for this diving project uh, came through uh, funds for teachers. If somebody's never heard of that, I, I had never heard of it. I mean, tell me a little bit about it.
2: So um, I never heard of it either. I googled it um, and initially didn't apply because I thought this is fake and these people just want my information. There's no way there's an organization that's just giving teachers money to go. You know, make their own education plans. But in short, Funding for Teachers is a nonprofit organization um, that provides teachers with uh, various amounts of money you can, you know, request. You can apply singly or singularly as a teacher, or you can apply as a teacher group or a teacher pair um, and sort of design your own education program or education plan and they'll fund it. Um, And that's really the gist and that's literally how hard it is. Uh, what you have to be able to explain to the folks at Fund for Teachers is here's how this work will impact my students and will improve my teaching ability um, and my 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 reach as a teacher. Um, and that is like literally that's that's the program. The application was a piece of cake. Um, then there was a brief orientation where they talked about you know what your responsibilities are, what paperwork you're responsible for, so on and so forth. Um, but you can apply as a single teacher. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to do it. Here's how much it's going to cost. And here's how it's going to improve my teaching.
0: Good stuff. Now, if somebody wants to keep up with with what you're doing in this, this journey that you're on with diving and working with your students, what's the best way to follow you?
2: Um, I'm always I'm on Facebook. Uh, My name is Veronica Wiley on Facebook. uh, Spell that name. W.Y. is in yellow. L.I.E. All those pronounced like E Coyote. They can follow me on Twitter at Stem South. Um, Or people are always more than welcome to uh, reach out to me via email at Stem South. um, Stemsouth at Gmail dot com.
0: Good stuff. Well, uh, Veronica Wiley, I love, again, your ambition and what you're doing here to make this happen. I love how you're, you're breaking stereotypes. I just think the whole program is awesome, and I wish you the best of luck with it. Are you ready for our pop quiz?
2: I am ready.
0: All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be?
2: Oh, science, of course.
0: What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching?
2: How to be good people.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: Every child deserves love, respect, and transparency.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Parents. What's the best gift to give an educator?
2: Mm. Compassion.
0: Which teacher changed your life?
2: Oh, there have been so many. Um going back to the fifth grade my teacher miss brown how was that she uh who she was rough on me and she would hug me and chew me out all at the same time she held me to a very high standard and she challenged me to um to see the world differently than i did i hated her in her class i left her class and i've missed that woman ever since
0: have you ever been able to reach out to her and say thanks?
2: I have. Um, I was able to let her know when I graduated from college. And I reached out to her when I graduated uh I think when I, when I got my first master's degree and I haven't heard back from her since then, so I don't know how she is, but at least she was aware. I was able to send her a thank you letter then. So I was, I sent her, um, my mom found her address. Don't know how, don't know where. Um, but anyway, I would at every, every time I I accomplished something new, I would send her a letter, an invitation, an announcement, something. So, um, I have tried to keep up with her over the years, but it's been, been about 20 years. Thank you. Right.
0: And last question, uh, pen or pencil? Pencil. All right. Again, Veronica Wiley, we thank you so much for joining us on Class Dismissed.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you and uh, enjoyed this time.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at class dismiss.